We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spurs Up Show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Today is Thursday, October the 7th, 2021. Today's show, I break down this weekend's game as Shane Beamer's squad searches for their first SEC one of the 2021 football seasons. The boys travel to Knoxville, Tennessee to take on the Volunteers. Guys, I'll break down this thing in its entirety. First things first, we'll break down Josh Heupel's squad. We'll also talk top storylines, key matchups to watch, keys to the game, and much, much more. As again, can the Gamecocks get their first SEC win of the 2021 football season. Also, guys, listener questions, voicemails, as well as a fantastic conversation, guys. A great interview with former Gamecocks baseball assistant Stuart Lake. Really good stuff, guys. It's never too early. It's never a wrong time of the year to talk Carolina baseball, and we are doing that Today, again, great combo with Stuart Lake. Appreciate him taking the time, guys. All that and more. We got a packed show here on a Thursday, and it's all brought to you by our friends over at Upstate Movers Group. Guys, Upstate Movers Group, superior moving service. They bring care and attention that companies can't offer because they're just too busy maintaining trucks and profiting off of them instead of focusing on service. Guys, service is what separates Upstate Movers Group from the competition. They're not a trucking company. They're a moving services company, and they're also employee-owned co-op. Their movers are paid twice the industry average, and everyone in the crew is invested in your success. They have dedicated professional crew members, and they also offer black glove service. They offer end-to-end packing services, custom crating and packaging special items, and cleaning services as well. They're founded by Greenville Natives and University of South Carolina alumni, guys, so a Gamecock-owned small business. They also offer 20 years of project management moving experience, and they can offer logistics and solutions that traditional moving companies simply do not have the skills for. Guys, whether in the upstate or across the state of South Carolina, if you have any moving needs in 2021, be be sure to check out our friends over at Upstate Movers Group. You can find them on social media at Upstate Movers Group. Or of course, if you have any other questions, go to their website, upstatemoversgroup.com. That's upstatemoversgroup.com. Be sure to check them out and tell them Chris from the Spurs Up Show sent you. Let's get it.
Cocky Top, you'll always be home sweet home to me. Good old Cocky Top. Woo! Let's beat Tennessee. Hey, what better way to start a Thursday off, folks? Hope you're all doing well. Appreciate you all tuning in into hell with Tennessee on this beautiful Thursday, folks. Again, appreciate you all tuning in this Thursday, October the 7th, 2021. Hope this show finds you well, no matter where you are, what you're doing, whether you're on the commute, you're in the office, you're on the job, you got the day off. Maybe you're on fall break. Again, folks, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for tuning in, guys. I woke up this morning grateful, thankful. I will never take a day for granted that I get to chat with you all and talk Gamecocks and talk about this team that we all love so dearly. So here we are on this Thursday and let's freaking have a day. It's a great day to have a day. It's a great weekend to hate Tennessee, by the way. It's a great weekend to not wear orange. Let's all just be grateful. We cheer for a team where we don't have to wear orange, that gaudy orange, as they said in that one movie. That one time. Guys, we're going to go ahead and rock. We're going to go ahead and roll. Before we do, I want to remind you guys, Saturday, if you're not going to Knoxville, we will be at the Carolina Alehouse location this weekend in Somerville, South Carolina. Official TSUS watch party. Guys, all the details are on social media, but do want to remind you, Carolina Alehouse at Somerville, the watch party. Mention TSUS when you get there to get 10% off your entire Order going to be an absolute blast, and I cannot wait to party with a bunch of low country gamecocks after we stomp the Vols on Saturday. I'm speaking into existence, guys. Let's freaking get it. Let's go again. Let's talk Tennessee noon kickoff on ESPN2 at Neyland Stadium. The gamecocks, of course, as we talked yesterday, a 10 and a half point under all the over under sitting at 56 and a half. Of course, the Vols lead the all time series 27. 27- 10 and 2. They've also won the last two meetings, of course, last year, the 2020 game. Tennessee won that football game 31 to 27. And you might recall that I talked, I talked how important that game was going to be for South Ghana, their 2020 season, obviously for the head coach at the time. And of course, the volunteers got the W in heartbreaking fashion, really, at Williams Bryce Stadium in a really, really tough game. And uh, again, Tennessee won two in a row against you. You had had their number before. Can the Gamecocks reverse that ugly trend and take advantage of a ball team with a first year head football coach? Speaking of, that first-year head football coach, breaking down Tennessee just slightly. Uh, their head coach, Josh Heupel, in his first year, obviously a new era beginning in Tennessee. And, of course, it's very similar to South Carolina, how they're kind of transitioning, changing the culture. Lost a ton in the offseason, by the way. You know, when we did our when we did our uh, opponent preview series over the summer, and I talked Tennessee, and, you know, I broke down every team. But, you know, people had said, Chris, their roster's trash, their roster's trash, their roster's trash. And you're like, okay, okay, I get it. But when you really looked and all they lost and how badly they were hurting, you're like, wow, this roster really is in disarray. However, though, they've managed to be three and two, one and one in SEC play. Really, I think shocked a lot of people last week by throttling the Missouri Tigers. So maybe Tennessee has hit their stride. Was it a one-game wonder? Or all of a sudden, have they turned a corner under Josh Heupel? That is the question. They're also averaging... 40 points per game, but again, we're only five games in, and when you score 70 points basically last week and you beat up on some smaller competition, those numbers will be inflated. They're only giving up 21 points per game. So again, a Tennessee program that feels maybe, again, they've turned the corner. They feel like they've turned the page a little bit. What does this game, this noon kickoff in Knoxville hold for both squads? Guys, let's go ahead and talk top storylines. Let's dive into it. First things first. And normally I would save stuff like this until the end, but right before I started recording this show, 
This showed up on my social media feed. The volunteers, for whatever reason, think it's a good idea to pull out all black jerseys against the Gamecocks. Now, we're fans of the color black, right? Our team wears black. Black is actually in our color scheme, unlike that team up there that plays at Neyland Stadium. But Tennessee thinks it's a good idea to wear black uniforms, just like they did, by the way, in 2009 when Lane Kiffin's squad absolutely stomped South Carolina. Now, I appreciate the effort. I like alternate uniforms. I really do. I respect it. But it should guarantee one thing. We should be rocking stormtroopers. There's no question. We should be rocking stormtroopers to counter that all-black look. But it's also screaming to me, like, how desperate are you? You got to wear all black to beat an unranked South Carolina football team? Guys, Tennessee wearing all black to their own funeral. What a joke that is. What, what a funny, what a little funny side note that is, huh? What a funny side note. Tennessee wearing all black. Well, I'll be interested to see what we wear, but hey, who cares about uniforms? Go win the game. Go win the game. We'll see if it helps them on Saturday. Uh, another big storyline, guys. A pair of first-year head coaches. And again, I, I talked about the importance of these, th- these South Carolina, Tennessee matchups last season. Um, and a lot of it had to do with, you know, it's crazy. It's wild how quickly the fall to grace happens in Knoxville, especially. Because, you know, after he won the first game and won the first couple, you thought Jeremy Pruitt was going to be at Tennessee for another five, six, seven years, whatever. Thought maybe, you know, They had turned the corner. They were headed a positive trajectory. And now he's no longer there. So it just goes to show you how quickly things can change um, in college football and with coaching. But a pair of first-year head coaches that are looking to build their program. You know, Shane Beamer looking for his first SEC win. Josh Heibel already got his last week against Mizzou. You know, what is that chess match like? How does each coach approach this Game. And again, I'll talk about that more in the key matchups, but a pair of first-year head coaches trying to build their program, and it would be a huge, huge win for both sides in continuing to, again, it's first year, right? It's, it's year zero, quote-unquote, or whatever. Even if it's just year one, you know, changing the culture, and I've talked about this a lot, changing the culture and being a well-coached football team, and those things happening are much more important than the overall record, but Let's face it, the record's really, really important, right? And getting to six wins and getting to a bowl game would be massive. It would be huge for this football team. So, for both sides, by the way. So, um, how does each coach approach this? Uh, the chess match that'll ensue between Heupel and Beamer. Very, very excited to watch those two guys duke it out. Guys, another top storyline for me, moving on the field, Luke Doty, his foot. What is the status of Luke Doty and his overall health as we go in this game? Now, the thing that keeps me optimistic, and I know this is a Gamecocks football team offensively. It's only scored four offensive touchdowns in the last four games. That is a fact. We all know about the Gamecocks' struggles offensively. One of the things that keeps me optimistic, guys, about the overall progress and progression and positive progression, right, the positive progression of this football team, Is Luke Doty getting healthier? Luke Doty saying in his Tuesday media availability, he said, quote, I think I've reached a point where I have a lot of confidence in my foot again. You love to hear that because I'll tell you what, guys, right now, hey, you can't run the ball, right? You can't run it between the tackles. You're struggling running the football as a whole. 
This is a football team that desperately needs the quarterback run game. Can you find it? Can he give you more of that this week? I'm not going to sit here and believe that Marcus Satterfield and these guys have completely opened up the playbook because of Luke Doty's inability to run the football. Is this the week we see Doty getting more out of the pocket even more? Do we see more quarterback design runs? Do we see Luke Doty take off? Because I feel like there's been a couple of runs this season where if Luke Doty was 110%, he either gets in the end zone, he gets that first down, he's not as hesitant to take off. So let's watch his foot. Let's see Luke Doty foot watch is officially a thing. And, uh, you know, maybe he's getting closer and closer, or maybe this is the weekend that he is back to 110%. Guys, another top storyline. Hey, I talked about with Alex McGrath on Tuesday. Is there any hope left for this Gamecocks offensive line? Is there any hope left? Is this the week the offensive line finally wakes up and gives you a competent running game? Is it going to happen this week? Will it happen at any point this season? Again, guys, I talked last week, fail fast, right? Fail fast offensively. If the run's not there, basically scrap it and throw the football. You got to go with something that works. I'll say the same thing this weekend, for sure. Hey, you threw it 34 times last week. You were very successful. Luke Doty threw for over 250 yards. If you got to do that again, hey, do it. Throw it 40 times. Hell, throw it 50 if you can't run the ball effectively. But you, you would think at some point, right, an offensive line that paved the way for Kevin Harris to rush for over 1,100 yards in a 10-game All-SEC schedule, an offensive line that paved the way for the SEC's leading rusher. You would think at some point, at some point, these guys are going to have that breakout game. If you will, and South Carolina is going to look like they did a season ago and run the football. Is it this week? Is it this week? Can you also protect Luke Doty, who was sacked three times last week against Troy? Is this finally the week? Because if it's not, and the bad trends continue, again, guys, I'm not calling for anybody's head. It's year one, but Greg Atkins might want to start polishing up the resume because I just can't think your O-line is going to look this bad all season long and he'll live in Columbia to tell the tale. So is this the week you finally figure things out on the line of scrimmage and you're able to establish not even a superior running attack, not even an above average, but just a competent running attack? where it doesn't look so hard to run the football. Can you run it? Can you run it? Can you win at the point of attack? Speaking of the point of attack, guys, another big storyline for me, Gamecocks defensive line. What a challenge you have this week. You know, UT guys um, ran for over 400 yards last week, right, against the Missouri Tigers. And Missouri, they've got a slew of issues up there in Como. Let's just say that right now. But your defensive line, you get a challenge. Can they stop this prolific Tennessee attack? Again, the numbers are a little bit skewed, I think. The numbers are a bit skewed, okay? Tennessee's beaten Bowling Green 38-6, lost to Pittsburgh 41-34, beat Tennessee Tech 56-0, the one team they play that had a pulse. They lost 38-14 to Florida, which, I mean, look at Florida. And then they beat Mizzou 62-24. Again, in that football game against Mizzou, guys, they were up 28-3 to in the first half. Sorry for mentioning that score, Falcons fans. They, they were up 28-3 to in the first half. Guys, they ran for 458 yards, 
7.8 yards per carry. Also, they got a pretty decent quarterback in Hendon Hooker, who will get the start in this one. He went 15 to 19 for 225, three touchdowns, no picks, was only sacked once. Tyon Evans, fantastic running back. Uh, Villas Jones Jr., Cedric Tillman, Javante Payton. Uh, they've also got a guy that we all know from Dutch Fork, Jalen Hyatt. That's a pretty good wide receiver. You know, I don't think this is an elite Tennessee offense by any means, but pretty solid, pretty competent. Can your defensive line step up yet again? Your secondary has been really, really good. Your linebacking core has been playing above their skis, but can the defensive line carry the attack yet again? Can guys like Pickens, hey, where is Jordan Birch? 14 career games and no sacks for him. Can he step up? Can J.J. Inigbari play like a first-rounder? Can, you know, Jabari Ellis and Tonka Hemingway and, 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 and Aaron Sterling, can those guys step up for you? You're going to need them. You're going to need them. Hey, I talked last week. You want to be an elite defensive line? You want to be considered elite? An elite defensive line go out there this weekend and shove it up Tennessee's you-know-what. Would, would absolutely stop the run. No way you can allow, allow the Bulls to run at any type of clip they did last week. So, again, your defensive line, can they step up? Big game on the road. Got to stop that prolific Tennessee attack. Another big storyline for me, guys. You know, it's spooky season, right? Halloween's getting close, and the Gamecocks head to Neyland Stadium, which has been a, let's just say it, a house of horrors for South Carolina. A very tough venue to play in, right? You didn't even get your first win there until 2005, right? And so the last time you were there, obviously, we know what happened when Ryan Holinsky was your starting quarterback, and you actually had the lead at halftime in that ballgame, and your, 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 your secondary, your defense just totally faltered. Um, but even in the wins, right, it's been Really, and I mean really, really tough. Uh, 2017, I think the 15 and on game, which guys, I don't know if I've ever been, you know, more sick during a game than that one, where it's like I was about to puke at the end. Uh, you know, of course, 2015, the heartbreaker, 2013, I'm not even going to mention, you know, 2011, a 14 to three game. So it's not a great Tennessee team you're taking on, but going to Neyland Stadium, can the Gamecocks be road warriors yet again and get the job done in? What's going to be a tough venue? It'll be sold out. Tennessee fans will show up. I know we hate Tennessee fans. They're ridiculous, absurd, one of the worst fan bases in all college football, but they'll show up. They'll show out by far the biggest crowd that South Carolina has played in front of. Hey, a huge crowd and a huge test for Luke Doty. I know he played at Georgia, at Sanford, whatever, but huge test for Luke Doty, huge test for this football team. How will they handle the adversity on the road? And can you overcome that? and be road warriors yet again. Uh, guys, final top storyline for me. And, you know, I, I thought the overall mentality was really interesting going in the Kentucky game. Right? I, I tried to tell you guys all week, hey, it's not a must win. It's not a must win. You can still get to a bowl game. You don't have to win this football game. It's a very important football game. Don't get me wrong. But it's not a quote-unquote must win. Calling any game a must win in your coach's first season Seems a little aggressive to me. I will say this, though. Number one, I'm very curious. What are you guys' takes on this game? Do you think it's a must-win? Because I'd love to, again, I, I'm, I'm not having trouble. I'm, I'm not getting as good a gauge on the temperature of the fan base and you guys' thoughts as I did during Kentucky week. I don't feel like it's quite as obvious. Um, but it is a very, very, very important game. And I think when you look at, is it the most important game of the season? Ah, I still say that Mizzou, or excuse me, East Carolina was, and uh, you won that football game. So all your goals are still in front of you. Hey, if you lose to Tennessee, guys, you've got plenty of swing games left that can get you to five, six, maybe even seven wins. But 
Both squads are three and two, right? Both squads of a first-year head coach. While it might not be the most important game, while it might not be a must-win, calling this the biggest swing game of the season for both teams, I think is very, very fair. Because this feels like a game, if you win it, your season's going to go one direction. If you lose it, I fear your season might go a different direction. And that goes for both sides, by the way. So the swing game implications of this one for both teams, what it means for both sides with first-year head coaches, and again, both teams with a lot of opportunity remaining in this football season. I mean, guys, you win this football game, you play Vandy next week, you can get five and two, which I predicted in the preseason, by the way, and I said would be a dream start for Shane Beamer, and I stand by that. Hey, a four and two start for Josh Heupel would be a dream start for those folks in Knoxville from everything they had to overcome over the, over the offseason. So the swing game implications of this football game for both sides, if you can get the win, again, I'm not going to call it a must win, but a huge gain nonetheless for the prospects of this 2021 season, building your program, SEC East hierarchy. A lot is on the line this weekend in Knoxville, Tennessee. Guys, let's get into key matchups to watch for. There's a lot of them in this football game. We're going to start, of course, in the line of scrimmage. You guys know I love to talk line of scrimmage. And again, stopping the run. Your defensive line's got to step up, show out. They got to do their thing. And it starts up front for me, defensive lineman Zach Pickens against the talented Tennessee running back, Tyon Evans. Guys, Evans ran for 367 yards thus far, 6.4 yards per carry and five touchdowns. Again, if you can't stop the run, you won't win this football game. The fact that you haven't been able to run it yourself and you're three and two is a minor miracle, but you've got to stop the run. You've got to slow down this Tennessee rushing attack. Can you do it again? Tyon Evans, a really, really good player. And I thought Zach Pickens really flashed last week. I, you know, you saw him a lot on the TV, right? You, you saw him making a lot of plays. Can he take the next step and really lead that offensive front, especially in the middle? Guys, speaking with the running game and running backs, this guy, to me, has got to get more involved in the Gamecocks' offensive game plan. I, I know we love Kevin Harris. I know Marshawn Lloyd was highly touted. But the most explosive and I'll say most exciting player right now, guys, on our offense, it's Juju McDowell. There's no question. That's why I'm listing him the key matchup, guys. My second key matchup, running back Juju McDowell against the linebacker from Tennessee, Jeremy Banks. Guys, Banks with 25 tackles, five and a half tackles for loss, and two sacks on the season. But a really, really good player. I understand Juju McDowell has struggled in the pass game and has struggled in pass blocking. And, of course, that's not his strength right now. He's a young player. But every he's one of those guys – again, am I saying he's an ace Sanders? I'm not saying that. But every time he touches the football, he has sort of, in my opinion, that ace Sanders effect where it's like, bro, he might take this the distance. So – He's got to touch the ball more, I think. You're looking for playmakers. You're looking for explosive plays. And I think a guy like Juju McDowell can give you that on Saturday on Rocky Top. Guys, my final key matchup, and this is a big one. This might be the biggest key matchup of the entire game. And I'm really excited for it, excited to see it. Because, again, fairly or unfairly, depending on this result and depending on how this game goes, fans will label – the direction of not only their seasons, but their programs as well. So it's very important for these two gentlemen I'm about to mention that you play well and you get the W, right? There ain't no days off in the SEC. Every game's a big game, but especially this one, especially this one. And that's why, guys, my final key matchup, Gamecocks head coach Shane Beamer against the Tennessee head coach Josh Heupel, a pair of first-year head coaches. Hey, what direction is your program going? 
right? Again, fairly or unfairly, you'll be labeled off of this game. Win or lose and how you play. How does Shane Beamer, how does Josh Heupel, how do these two men attack it? And, you know, I haven't really looked into this point this season. Hey, who outcoached who, whatever. I told you guys, you got to wrap your arms around Shane Beamer. He's a first-year head coach. He's a first-year head coach ever being a head coach. Meanwhile, Josh Heupel's done it before. But if you can see South kind of look like the more prepared team, the more ready-to-play team, the better coach team, I think it'll say a lot. I think it'll say a lot about your program. I think it'll say a lot about the job Shane Beamer is doing. And uh, it'll certainly give fans those warm and fuzzy feelings that they're looking for. So, again, my final key matchup, guys, Gamecocks head coach Shane Beamer against the Tennessee head man, Josh Heupel. All right, let's talk my three keys to the game. What does South Carolina have to do to get the win on Saturday in Neyland Stadium? My first thing, guys, again, the crowd's going to be raucous. The crowd's going to be there. 100,000 will pack themselves at Rocky Top. I think you need to start fast. Again, you're trying to be road warriors yet again. I thought you did a decent job at Georgia, but Georgia, just a better football team than you already talked about that. But I think you need to start fast. I, I think you need to start efficiently. I think you need to do something to silence that crowd because the only way I see that that Tennessee could cover the 10 and a half or the 12 or whatever you got the number at, if they start quickly, and they get out ahead of you, and things start to slip away, I think it could be a very, very, very long day for South Carolina. So, again, I I think, especially offensively, building confidence early, building momentum. Again, how much of it with the offense is a confidence issue, right? Like them thinking to themselves, well, we can't run the ball. People say we're this. People say we're that. Start quickly, start fast, build some early momentum, whether you go on defense and you get a big stop, you go on offense and you get a – touchdown not a field goal a touchdown start quickly put Tennessee on their heels and silence that raucous crowd on Rocky Top guys my second key to the game again it's very very simple I understand that but it's still a key you've got to contain the Tennessee running game are you going to completely stop them are you going to hold them to less than 100 yards probably not But if you can contain them, put them in obvious passing situations, let your pass rush get there. We all saw last week, and we've seen it all season, how good your defensive line is. Again, we've seen all season how good your secondary, how improved they've been. Contain the run, make them throw, force Hooker into mistakes. And I think your defense will do that yet again and will give you an opportunity, every opportunity you need to win this football game. My final key to the game, guys, going back to the offense. Okay, going back to the offense. And I'm sure you've all noticed this trend as well, and I'm not telling you anything you don't know. But, damn, it feels like our best plays have been when the pocket gets moved and Luke Doty gets outside the pocket and rolls out and throws on the run. It certainly feels like that to me. So, again, my final key, move the pocket. Continue to move the pocket. Get Luke Doty outside. Make him – you got to make the defense make a play, right? you got to make the defense also make a decision. So you hope that, hey, maybe his foot's closer to 110%. He can go out there, say, hey – you got to pick one or the other. I'm either going to run, I'm going to throw, whatever. Use your athleticism, put Tennessee on their heels, and make plays. So, again, guys, my three keys to the game. Start fast, contain the run, and move the pocket for a very athletic starting quarterback, Luke Doty. So, again, guys, that's my breakdown of this weekend's game as the Gamecocks take on the Tennessee Volunteers. Guys, like I said, watch party this weekend at Carolina Ale House in Somerville. Would love to see you all out there. Hey, we got one voicemail, then your questions, and we'll get into our conversation. Let's first knock out this voicemail. Let's do it, huh? Hey, man. Uh, just one first I'll say I love the show. Uh, long time, I guess, social media follower, just kind of getting into the podcast this season. But 
you know, as far as Tennessee goes, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think looking back on, you know, perspectives of what we've done so far this season, I love the defense. The defense has been absolutely amazing. Um, way better than I would have expected them to be. I don't know, you know, what we're going to do offensive-wise. I mean, I, 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 it's, I struggle thinking about right now what we're going to do offensively against Tennessee. Not that I think that they have the, the most amazing defense in the world, but we haven't really shown the ability to be able to score consistently. We've got to, they've, they've got to figure something out. Obviously, the running game's not working for whatever reason. We've got to be able to, I don't know, get some screens and just try to draw something up. Uh, to where we can get the ball into playmakers' hands in space and hopefully they can get past, you know, uh, a defensive back or two. Um, I guess uh, as far as I, 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 I can't really give you a prediction on this one. I, I don't know what to think. Um, I mean, I'm hoping we can pull it out, but, you know, you know, you tell me what you think. And um, anyway, just wanted to kind of leave a comment. Thanks so much, Ken. Hey, appreciate the voicemail, man. Appreciate you calling in. Longtime follower, first-time caller, I believe. Glad you're on the podcast airwaves as well. Um, I'll tell you this first thing. I will drop my prediction on Friday. You also certainly made the point, guys, you got to score to win. There's no question. How are you going to move the football? Something's got to give. Hey, the other thing I didn't mention, by the way, because you talk offensive woes, and they've certainly been there, right? There's no doubt. They've certainly been there. I didn't even talk about this in the top storylines, which I should have, the penalties. I mean, a lot of it on offense, a lot of the reason you're not moving the football, you're shooting yourself in the foot. Can you get out of your own way? Guys, I don't think we're some elite football team. I've talked to you all season long about the shortcomings of the roster, blah, blah, blah. I get that, right? And I'm not going in this game selling you false hope that we're some elite roster. And I'm not selling you false hope that, we're going to score 50 points, and we have the potential to be an elite offense. I don't think we do, but my goodness, we can be a competent offense. We can be an offense that does enough with this defense to get the win. But doesn't it feel like, like many times, you're on a drive of some sort, and it's, it's like we're moving the ball at times, and then we just shoot ourselves in the foot, and it completely kills the drive. Get out of your own way. Get out of your own way. Stop with the silly penalties. Stop with the foolish mistakes. Be a sound, fundamental football team. If you do that, I think the plays are there to make. But this, and guys, there aren't many that can say they are. I would say there's probably none. But this isn't a good enough football team to get flagged 10 times and overcome it, especially on the offensive side. So get out of your own way. Make some plays. I'm not saying you're going to go out there and score 50, but could you score 28? I don't think that's that's unrealistic. Capitalize on opportunities as well. When you get the ball, your defense gives it to you on the 30. Guys, that's got to be a touchdown. I mean, that has to be. You can't go three and out and settle for a field goal. I mean, I love Parker White as much as anybody, but I don't want to see him kick anymore unless it's an extra point. So get out of your own way. Great call, though. Appreciate the voicemail. I appreciate the perspective, man. Thank you so much. Let's get into your questions, guys, and we'll knock out our interview. Uh, Ecarch08. Does Montario Hardesty deserve any of the blame for the run game issues? Top to bottom, I think everybody deserves blame. And everybody needs to take it personal and uh, get it figured the hell out, right? 
get it figured out. So, yeah, he does. Satterfield, the execution, the personnel, Shane Beamer, everyone deserves a little bit of blame for that running game not getting together more than they have this season. Uh, Austin G underscore 45, does our secondary continue to succeed against this group of wide receivers? Well, I'll tell you this, man. I doubted the secondary all preseason, all summer, all first quarter of the season. Hey, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. I mean, you got to lean on your defensive line. Your D-line's got to get pressure. But, hey, this secondary's played fantastic all season. And I'd expect nothing but the same again this Saturday. Uh, David underscore Barnes, 76. I get that Lloyd may be more talented, but he doesn't look confident in his knees, in my opinion. Yeah, coming off of ACL. Maybe he's not there. I don't know. Uh, David's also got a couple more questions. Says, ready to see more Quan White? Another offseason will help Lloyd break out in 2022. Yeah, I don't know what's happening to Quan. I don't know if it's an injury, if he's in the doghouse. I don't know what's going on. He also says, also, we're going to have to score more than one offensive touchdown to beat the Bulls Saturday. Fact. Uh, Alessandro underscore Corey has 445. Hope Beamer yelled at everyone for all those dumb decisions last game. I'm sure he did. <laughs> I'm sure he did. Uh, Luke Haynes with a prediction says Luke Doty is the best game of his career. Would love to see that. Looking at the FBI, uh, this is EA Birchmore. Looking at the FBI, we should beat Vandy and Mizzou. Looks 50 50. Where's win number six coming? Um, I had Auburn in the preseason. I know they, they look a lot better than I thought they were going to look. Hey, you could beat Clemson. You could beat, you know, there, there's some there's some games, I think, guys, this season of college ball is wacky. There's games in this back end that maybe we didn't see as swing games before that all of a sudden you're like, hmm, hmm, how will that one go? So it could happen. Uh, let's see. S.Rush, Sevens, Crosses, Acondre. White isn't getting more carries. Love what Juju's doing. Again, I'm, I'm surprised as well. American Offshore, do we cover the spread? Yeah, Cox plus 10.5. Hammer it. Uh, Nick Stebman, we're breaking out black pants for this after Tennessee wearing all black. I highly doubt it. Last question, real Jan Williams. How beatable is Tennessee, Florida, AM, Auburn, and Clemson? You know, I, I'm not going to sit here and predict South Carolina is going to beat Florida, beat AM, um, or even beat Clemson. It's so far off. But again, guys, this has been a wacky year of college football. So who really knows? Let's just focus on Tennessee this weekend. Is this a winnable game for South Carolina? I think it is. I think it is. And you'll know my prediction, by the way tomorrow let the suspense build guys appreciate you all tuning out a fantastic conversation great interview hey it's never too early to start talking Gamecocks baseball and again getting coach Stu, aka Stuart Lake on the show great stuff guys great great getting perspective from him and thoughts on kind of baseball and if you didn't know he had two stints there from 99 to 02 and then 2017 to this past season really really good stuff but again guys Thank you all so much for tuning in. Again, quick reminder, watch party Saturday in Somerville at the Carolina Alehouse location. Be sure to come on out. Very excited to party with some low country Gamecocks. We're going to have a blast. Guys, I'm out of here. You have a great rest of your Thursday and enjoy this conversation with former Gamecocks baseball assistant coach, Stuart Lake. All right, joining us today on the Spurs Up show, guys, very exciting conversation, very exciting interview. He was an assistant twice at South Carolina from 1999 to 2002, and then yet again, 2017, to as recently as last season, the 2021 college baseball season. He's had stops at College of Charleston, Ole Miss, the Citadel as well. He was also the head coach at Charleston Southern from 2009 to 2016. 2012, he was named the Big South Coach of the Year. So very accomplished coach and also a diehard Gamecock. You might know him better as Stu, Coach Stuart Lake, joining the Airwaves. Coach, appreciate you taking the time. Seriously, man, it's a pleasure to chat with you. Really excited to, uh, to conversate. It's always a great time of year, by the way, to talk Gamecock baseball. So appreciate you doing this. 
Oh, you're welcome. It's it's exciting to do it, follow you a bunch, so honored to do it. Yeah, appreciate you taking the time again, Coach. Let's go back to the beginning, though, because, again, like I mentioned, you did, if I understand correctly, you grew up a Gamecock fan and, and watched the – the, the growth and evolution of Gamecock baseball. And obviously you got the opportunity in 1999 to join Rain Tanner's staff and help him build that. And you guys obviously had a ton of success, but just talk about, again, you're from the state, you grew up a Gamecock. What was that like just watching the evolution of Carolina baseball? And then you get that opportunity the first time to go to Columbia and help build that thing. And just the rush of emotions, I have to imagine that was for you. It was, you know, I grew up here, uh, Prosperity, Newberry County, uh, gosh, went to every football game, baseball game, Uncle Thomas that could get us to. Um, we went to June Rains baseball camps. So, I mean, that Sarge Fry was such a special place. Um, back then, high school baseball games, if we'd make it to a high level of the playoffs, you'd play at Sarge Fry. So I had incredible memories. And then when I came back to start grad school, I've told this story so many times. It was really an accident how I got kind of connected. I I'd started my master's degree, and at the time, you could be a mentor or a tutor, and they would help you with grad school, and I went over in September, and uh, Kay Chandler, um, who was the lady in charge, told me, well, you have to apply for these in the spring. And I said, okay, well, I'll be back in the spring, and as I slowly walked out of her office trying to figure out my next step, she said, hold on, I do have one job. She said, we've hired this new baseball coach, and if, if you want to try to work with him, you can. He's been kind of tough. <laughs> and uh, I said, yeah, I said, well, you didn't even ask me. I said, I've been a pro umpire for the last two years. I can, I can handle a, a coach. And, uh, you know, she laughed. I went over. It was obviously Coach Tanner. It was 1996. Okay. And he had been hired. Uh, so for two years, I worked with a baseball team in the academic department and was a high school baseball coach at my alma mater, Mid-Carolina, then Brooklyn Casey. And when that kind of finished up my master's, I was going to be a high school coach. I uh, had already met my wife, Tracy. We were ready to just kind of rock and roll and be high school coaches. And uh, Coach Tanner said, hey, why don't you try this? I think you'd enjoy being a college coach. And uh, fall of 98, joined his staff. And 23 years later, uh, you know, college baseball coach. Mm -hmm. So it was fun. That's incredible. Now, you mentioned the word tough when you said Ray Tanner. I think that's a really good way to describe him. You know, it, it's I've been fortunate yeah. enough, man, to have so many great former players that obviously you helped coach. I had Coach Holbrook on as well. And it, it's interesting hearing the stories about Coach Tanner, especially from the guys from the different eras, like the guys that speak on him when they played early 2000s versus the guys around the 2010 era. You know, I'll have guys like Trey Dyson. He specifically told me, he's like, those guys in 2010 have no clue how good they had it compared to how tough and, you know, rugged Coach Tanner was. But Working for him, I feel like just just give your, you know, your experiences under him. I feel like he had to be a guy. He pulled the best out of his players, but certainly I'd imagine out of his coaches as well. He did. He he had a gift that when I was a head coach, I always kind of would sit and hope I was doing it. You felt you felt guilty if you lost because you wanted him. You knew he took it so personal. And there was not one day, honestly, at South Carolina, I could say that I worked harder on the field than he did. I mean, he was a guy that at practice in the office, you knew he was getting after it. And just over those years, he's a guy that, yeah, he was tough at times. And, but you could, you could um, relay that to him. There were days I'd just say, coach, this is ridiculous. And he'd say, well, that's my opinion. It's the way it's going to be. And then an hour later, he'd come get you and go, hey, let's go to Rosewood Dairy Bar and uh, get lunch. And tell me why you think that's a bad idea for practice or whatever. So it was 
even from that point, I was 25 years old when I started on this coaching staff. I had told people throughout my career until I was a head coach, I never felt more involved than I did with him. He made all of us from Coach Tolman, Coach Myers, uh, all of us as coaches just really feel our opinion mattered. And that is a tremendous talent to be able to do. And I think that's why he's had so much success as an athletic director as well. Now that, that you mentioned that staff, man, what a star studded that staff that was with coach Tolman and, and the others that you guys, Monty Lee, obviously joining at some point, but uh, favorite, you know, obviously your two stints at South Carolina were a little bit different. Your favorite memory from the first stint. Again, you guys went to the college world series in 2002. I mean, again, those were some, those were some fantastic ball clubs you guys had during that, during your, your first run there, I should say. Yeah. You know, God, I got so many that 2000, you know, I sit here with a beard, Coach Tanner up until that point would not let players have facial hair. He's a huge Yankees fan. Mm-hmm. Why our uniforms look so much like him. That 2000 team talked him into having facial hair and long hair until they lost. And if you look back, we won our first 22 games. So we go 22 <laughs> and one. We lose on Sunday to a really good Pat McMahon, Florida team. Mm-hmm. And Coach Tanner gets them in the locker room, gets on them, says the facial hair has got to be gone by tomorrow. And I'll never forget a senior, Nate Janowitz, stood up and said, hey, coach, we didn't lose because of our facial hair, which was a big thing to stand up to Coach Tanner back then. He goes, give us one more loss. Mm-hmm. And he goes, okay. They won 15 more, I believe. <laughs> so when we were 37 and one or whatever, it was an incredible number and lost again, I think, at Arkansas. No more facial hair comments. It was just like, hey, let's, let's go with it. But – the most special moment, obviously, in my first 10 years beating Miami. Mm-hmm. Just that day to – God, that was our third Super Regional. They had all been three to two. We're sitting over – I'm standing at first base looking at scoreboard going, oh, my God, it's going to be three to two again. You know, because we lost to Stanford by that score. We lost to uh, Lafayette. So, just to see it all. And then that final play, you know, kid Timmy Seaton, who was our – Kind of, he claimed to get saves as a, we put him in right field in the ninth inning, makes that incredible catch over the bullpen fence to end the game. So, no doubt that one. Going yeah. to Omaha, that 2002 team would, it'll always get to be number one, but I kid you not, everything else is one B and C. There's, there's a lot of great memories. Now, obviously, again, Coach, you, you were pursuing your own coaching ventures, if you will, with, like I mentioned, stops at College of Charleston, Ole Miss, the Citadel. Eventually, you took the head coaching job at Charleston Southern. So, I'm assuming you probably went up against Coach Tanner during that 10, 11, 12. And I, and I know Charleston Southern and South Carolina play on a, a pretty consistent basis. But I would ask you, I mean, I, I sometimes, you know, say to people, I don't think people really appreciate the run that Coach Tanner had at South Carolina and just how special it was and how, how truly – you know, incredible that run was. Do you think we'll ever see that at South Gun again? Because, again, it wasn't just like a, a little pocket of three, four, or five years. I mean, literally from the time he got there in, what, 97 to 2014. I mean, this was one of the top three or four big college baseball programs in, in all the sport. You know, you always say you won't, but that's what everything's made for, as they said the other night when Tom Brady broke the record. They're all right. there to do. I, the reason I would say we may – probably won't is because the era it's just changed so much with recruiting and and now the transfer portal and things that coach tanner jokes the way he coached players back then as hard as he was they'd probably all transfer <laughs> because really had to buy into what we were doing so i i don't think we'll see the skip Burtman then ray tanner um eras but 
you know, it was, it was incredible. I mean, when you look back to the, his first year, I think they made the SEC tournament only because Vanderbilt had a forfeit at the end of the year. From that point on, they were always in the tournament. And, and I knew it, as you had said, I was a Gamecock guy. But then I leave here mm-hmm. and I go to Ole Miss. And the cool thing about leaving here to go to Ole Miss, I didn't realize how people were looking at us. Because when I was at South Carolina, we were looking at LSU. Right. Everything Coach Tanner wanted to do was a Skip Burtman, USA Baseball. And we looked at LSU Baseball. And then I get to Ole Miss and I got players going – how are y'all doing it in South Carolina? And that's, and I called Coach Tanner, you know, I'd been there a few months and I said, I don't know if you even realize how everybody's looking at South Carolina now because Coach Bertman had been gone now, you know, that's when Smoke LaValle had taken over. One of the hardest games ever in my life, we came back to start try. I didn't realize how hard playing at start try was. I came back in Ole Miss uniform and, and Hippie and those guys are still playing. And then, but I did. I played him at Charleston Southern. I played him at Citadel. We beat him at Ole Miss a few times. I think we beat him once here, maybe twice. We beat him there. Um, I told him at Charleston Southern I was trying to pad his win record, so I never beat him there. <laughs> but uh, I think we did get him a few times at the Citadel, which was always a hard place for South Carolina to, to play. But it really – I did not enjoy playing. Um, I didn't enjoy playing him. I just knew how good a coach he was. And next to, you know, family members, it, it was it was not fun. It just was one of those that when I could be on the same side as him, it was a lot more fun. Yeah, for sure. Now, Coach, again, you mentioned those those stops at the uh, the other schools that I mentioned. You get the opportunity there to be a head coach at Charleston Southern in 2009. Just talk about getting that opportunity. I and, mean, again, was that something that was always kind of the goal for you or eventually over your coaching career that evolved into, hey, I want to be a head coach. I want to take control of my own, own program. And then you get that opportunity. I have to imagine that was a, a really special thing for you and an opportunity you really seized, obviously, because you had a lot of success at CSU. Yeah, I did. I enjoyed it. You know, I'd come back. My wife originally from Charleston. We had our son in Ole Miss. And, you know, our, our driving force then was to get closer to home. You know, that was – so I got back. Coach Jordan at Citadel treated me like gold. I had two great years there, and the CSU job opens. I'd played at Charleston Southern, so that's where I graduated from. Uh, I was living in North Charleston already in Crowfield. So it was one of those moves, first time in our family's history, we didn't have to sell a house, you know, to move and to be right. to be a head coach. And, and I was, you know, in my mid-30s. So it was fun. And for eight and a half years of doing it, you know, incredible memories of the kids I got to coach. We had some big wins. Of We got to beat South Carolina. We beat Florida at Florida in 2010 when mm. we had a kid named Tyler Thornburg on the mound who could uh, mm. beat just about anybody in the country. But we had a lot of great wins. A lot of great kids came through that program. Uh, you know, something I'm so proud of of that program is we were there when all the tragedy hit of Charleston and Chris Singleton was on my team. And now look at Chris Singleton – He's one of the most renowned motivational speakers in the country. He's just to be a part of that, as I'm as proud of as any win we had at Charleston Southern. Yeah, that's incredible. I, I wanted to get to the uh, the Gamecock perspective. Again, like I said, you got there in 2009, and you guys had a lot of success, but for whatever reason, it evaded South Carolina getting that ring, getting to Omaha and completing the job. And, I mean, you think back, man, if some of those teams – 
you know, I think of the Justin Smoke teams and the Murderers Row and maybe maybe some of the best, most talented teams to ever, you know, come through Columbia. But uh, 10 and 11, they go back to back. 12, obviously, they go all the way. How crazy was it for you? And I'm sure, again, you were ecstatic for Coach Tanner and what they had done. But, you know, because I, I, I remember, Coach, it's, it's wild. I remember uh, after the 2009 season, you know, South Carolina, I talked to a lot of former players about this. They go up to East Carolina and just drop a heartbreaker in the postseason. And, they're, you know, there's a course, there's – chatter from fans has coach Tanner lost it maybe he's maybe he doesn't have it anymore and sure enough again that that was quickly disproven but uh how how crazy how awesome was that for you watching it from your vantage point and seeing South kind of do what they did from 10 to 12 well I you know I tell this story So Coach Tolman and I came and spent the whole regional. And if you'll remember, it started off rocky when they got behind and the rain delay came, obviously went on to win it. They go on the coastal and I went recruiting. Me and Coach Tolman both went together recruiting and said, hey, all right, we did our part. You know, we helped you win a regional. Now you got to take care of it. And um, just then the coastal, I had to listen to it basically on the radio to Mike Morgan on the phone telling me stuff. But sitting in a hotel in Spartanburg watching that 2010 when uh, Wick got a hit. And, man, I still get emotional because it was so much for all of us to get to that point. And then to finally see it, that was really that, – that was one of those moments you'll never forget. And I don't know how many people know it because he never shares it, but he – Coach Tanner bought a ring for all of us that had been a part of the program and gave them to us in different ways. You know, he came to Charleston to give me mine. He kind of, you know, Coach Tolman, he took him his. So it was a, I still have it, you know, proudly displayed here in my house because we all felt a part of that 2010. And then when they do it in 11, we're like, come on, how are you doing it again? <laughs> and then 12, we're thinking, oh, we're going to get another one. And that Arizona team was just too good. But it was, it was fun as a Gamecock fan to just sit back and get to enjoy it without the pressure being in that dugout during that little bit of time, I felt like I was in there because of him, because I knew how Coach Tanner, he wore himself out on wins. We would win games and we'd want to go celebrate and he'd be so worn out, he'd just stay in the room and do room service. So I knew eventually it would catch up. I think it did. That's probably why he moved into the athletic director more than anything is because he took each game so personally. Yeah, I was going to ask, were you surprised after 12? I know a lot of fans were, and even some players, when he decided to hang it up. And, I mean, did that did that surprise you at all when he he made that decision to transition into a uh, into the AD role? Um, no. He had talked about it for so long. Again, it goes back to Skip Burtman. If you go and look at Coach Burtman stepping away from coaching into the athletic part and what he did at LSU, and Coach Tanner had just followed him in so many ways through conversation <laughs> and their relationship that – we all knew if that opportunity came. I just didn't know if it would be here. You know, I kind of envisioned maybe we'd step away from coaching a little bit later on and take over, a, you know, somewhere else. Then when it just kind of all worked out the way it did with, uh, you know, Mr. Hyman leaving and it's open, I'm going, okay. And I was disappointed, you know, for no, for no other reason than I just loved being able to call him as a coach. Mm -hmm. And once he became an AD, our conversations – 
we still have great ones to this day. When his name pops up on my phone, my family will go, oh, good, Dad's going to be gone for an hour because our conversations are long. But it's not baseball, mm-hmm. per se, like it once was. Right. And that's the, that was the part I missed. But, no, I knew he wanted to be, and I knew he would do really good when he got it. Random side note, because, again, I know you came back to South Carolina, obviously, what, I guess it'd be fall 2016, or was it spring of 17 when you came back? Fall 16? Spring of 17, okay. So you come back, though, but I I was going to say, do you feel like for a guy like Tanner, it's hard to kind of take the hands off the baseball side? Because it's like you've been, you know, pulling the strings for so long. It's I I just wonder, like, the transition of, like, you know, he's sitting up there at, you know, uh, Founders Park right now watching, like, you know, and I'm sure it's playing out in his head of what he would do, strategy, all that. Well, there's no doubt he is. I will tell you this much, and I told him this when I was there as a coach. He stayed away. I wanted to be more involved at times, and I'm I'm speaking for myself. And I'm not speaking for Coach Holbrook or Coach Kingston when I say that as the head coach, but I was still sharing stuff with him. Like, what do you think with this hitter, or what do you think with this? And he really was trying to be hands-on. But any baseball fan, that, that's why – you know, I love watching you with your passion on it. If you really care, you're going to stay involved. Mm-hmm. You can say, all right, I'm not going to say anything. You remember the old Marv Levy video, NFL films, he tells Bruce Smith, hey, we're not going to yell at the officials mm-hmm. today. We're going to be nice. And <laughs> 30 seconds yet later, you know, he's screaming at the guy. <laughs> That's kind of who we all are. If you're really bought in and, you know, as I sit here with a Cleveland Browns hat on and, and a Gamecock, those two fan bases, you're all in you're either all in or you're not really a fan. Right. And it's the same thing as a coach. So, yeah, I know he's sitting up there in his mind going, I'd bun here or I'd take this picture out here. But in his defense, he don't tell you. You really have to ask. And uh, But I do. I, I look forward to some conversations. I don't know what I'll be doing come spring, but I can tell you this much. If I have a chance to sit in his booth during a game, I, I look forward to doing it because I had not got to do it with him in a long, long time to just sit there and, you know, be like the two old men in the Muppets. You know, we can sit up top and we can just say everything we see and we go from there. Mm. Now, what's interesting, Coach, again, you get back to South Carolina. Uh, a lot had changed, obviously. South Carolina won two national championships. They also had a new stadium, which it's funny. You were talking about Sarge Fry earlier, and I, I was lucky enough to, you know, you mentioned prosperity earlier. I actually played my college ball at Newberry College. So as a senior in high school, I was able to play one of the last games on Sarge uh, when they were ripping out the seats. I'll never forget that. And I was thinking to myself, God, why would, you know, why would you ever get rid of this ballpark? It's such a great ballpark. And then you go to a game at Founders Park and you're like, okay, I understand now. This is, this is a whole different level. But uh, you come back to Columbia, obviously, and again, it's, it's a very interesting stint because, you know, you were under two different coaches. And, I mean, 2017 being Coach Holbrook's last year, Coach Kingston comes in after that. Um, I guess in the beginning, like how, how you know, for an assistant, how, how interesting was that for you? Because, again, I, I talked to players about the uncertainty and kind of not knowing what next steps are. I'd have to imagine it was the same thing for you as far as, hey, this is just some random new coach coming in. I, I don't know if I'm going to be here anymore, if he's going to want me on his staff. Like, what, what was that process like? That part was hard. You know, when we made our decision to come here, which is really not normal, but we moved here in January, or I moved here. My family likes to stay in Charleston the rest of the spring. I really wanted to be the player development guy. I mean, that was a position we had, had developed. I had just – I wanted to, at that moment, get away from coaching a little bit and – and be more involved in helping kids with what's next as far as baseball and being the dugout. And I knew I'd get to be, I'd get to be beside Dr. Casper. 
who, who to me was one of the biggest parts of our program. So I knew I'd get to pick his brain on that mental side of it. And then things just went bizarre with a lot that happened. Next thing I know, I'm back in a uniform that yeah. season. Mm -hmm. I'm coaching, which I, you know, really wasn't planning on. And then, you know, Coach Holbrook's let go, and you're right. I'm sitting there. We had honestly sold a house and were living in an apartment in Charleston when all that happened, going, what are we supposed to do? And we kind of waited when Coach Kingston was hired. I'd stayed on that summer to run camps. You know, he offered me a job immediately to come back, but it was going to be in the volunteer role, which I had to then figure out, can I do this? Mm. And uh, I'm glad I did because it allowed us to have just some more great memories, but more importantly, it allowed my son Hayden to get to be a part of the program he had heard about. He had heard all my stories of, you know, this game, that game, and he's a Gamecock fan. As my wife's a Gamecock, she graduated from South Carolina. So it was it allowed us over the next four years to just have some more great memories, the super regional team, getting to go to Arkansas, you know, some great kids, even on those other two teams, the COVID year obviously was so bizarre. And then last year, a really good team that mm. just ran into some good teams in our regional, mm. but it was just fun for me to get to put that uniform back on again and let my son be it to be a part of as a bat boy a few times as he's growing up, his buddies come to games. And uh, so very glad we got to do it. Yeah. Now, you mentioned, again, on a side note, Coach, you, you mentioned being an assistant. And anybody who follows college baseball understands some of the uh, absurdities that come with the game, the 11.7, the amount of paid assistance or really lack thereof. I mean, your overall thoughts, opinions, I'm sure they're fairly strong. And it, it just seems crazy to me how, you know, and it's no knock on any of the other big sports, but they're able to throw all this money and allocate these resources, to the other big sports. And it's like college baseball, which I think, I, I mean, I think still is not getting enough uh, pub and recognition, like on the big networks. It's not, you know, people love college baseball. Like if you, if you, you know, you see fans, I mean, look at the SEC stadiums, look at the way fans pack these stadiums out and how starving people were for college baseball when we finally got back to hundred percent capacity. But I mean, I'm sure you have fairly strong opinions on the, the paid assistant stuff. And I'm sure, again, I'm, I would have to imagine, again, I don't want to put words in your mouth. That's something that goes into every assistant coach's decision-making. It's just, you know, people can't work for free. Man. So, you know what I mean? The, the money's yeah. what makes the world go round. And it's, it's, I, I'm hoping that's a change that comes to college baseball very, very soon. I do too. You know, it was a case, fortunately, obviously at South Carolina or camps, it made it where we could right. still do it. And, and that's why I'm excited that a guy like Wingo came into that role yeah. now because we'll see him do it. But it is really unfortunate. I don't, I don't understand why, you know, two years ago we voted on that third paid assistant. It, it got voted. It would have added a paid assistant to men's baseball and women's softball, which to me was a slam dunk for both sports. When our postseason's on TV, men's baseball, women's softball, they're some of the most watched events that ESPN has. And, and they make money. The tournament makes money. And I just don't understand why it seems so easy to push it to the side and say, yeah, two paid assistants are enough. And it, it's never been a knock for me. I, I, football, basketball, some of my best friends coach all those sports. Why not make this better for us? As you, you me and you both play college baseball those coaches are some of the biggest influences for the rest of your life. Mm. Why not make sure you can have people that can do it longer or 
you know, maybe in the smaller schools have more qualified people that could do it because like when I was at Charleston Southern, my poor volunteer coach had to teach. So he was teaching school and coming to practice at, you know, two thirty, three o'clock. We'd try to push practice back so we wouldn't start too soon, but it was so unfair to that person wanting to start in a profession that most people outside of the SEC, ACC schools, they end up getting out of coaching. I mean, they just do. It's just, it's too hard to try to live on 8,000, 10,000, 12,000 amounts, or you can look at it online when they advertise jobs and you're going, oh, so I keep hoping the NCAA, you know, is going to say, hey, let's just, let's make this better because I, I want it to be better. My son's come along now. I want him to, to get into the NCAA when they realize what they could do and help our sport scholarship wise 11.7 come on we can do better than that yeah. you know now they limit the roster so you're taking away opportunities you know from kids that could walk on and be a part of a program for no reason you're just taking it away with roster sizes so there's a lot of changes I hope to see and I'd love as my kind of career goes in whatever direction I'd love to be there to beat on the old you know drum farm in any way for sure. Now, you mentioned those COVID seasons, Coach. Like, I definitely want to get your perspective again. You went through it in 2020 with uh, – I mean, I'll, you know, of course you remember, but I'll never forget, you know, obviously that Tuesday game against the Citadel goes down, and that, that was actually my first baseball season living in Columbia full-time, if you will, and we're all yeah. looking forward to the start of SEC play. Tennessee plug gets ripped, season's gone. And then even in this past season, I mean, we had baseball, but it was sort of, you know, people didn't really know how to navigate it. It was weird. You had – 20% capacity and it felt sort of hollow at least in the beginning and obviously later on the season you know we got back to 100% who can forget that Tennessee series and the way Gamecock Nation showed up and showed out at Founders Park and of course the Rowdy Roosters doing their absolute best but uh, talk about just navigating that man I mean again baseball just gets ripped from you something you've done every single year for your entire life and again it was a tumultuous 2020 but of course we're able to bounce back but uh, now I'm, I'm sure going through that had had to just be I mean, again, just like for all of us, just a complete roller coaster. Yeah, you know, we played a Citadel on that Tuesday. Blake Cooper and I are good friends, and we yeah. we were the last two people talking in the stadium that night. Mm. And I made a joke to him. I said, we better soak this up because if things keep going the way it is, mm. we might not be playing much longer because everything nationally had started mm. saying it. And then that Thursday, Coach Mead and I run over to Subway, and uh, Carl Lafferty at Ole Miss is – was there when I was there, we're still very close, calls me and goes, hey, man, uh, Coach Bianco's son, who played at LSU, just called him. They just took him off the bus. So they were getting on a bus to drive to play, I think maybe even Ole Miss, for the first SEC series. And that's when the reality, the NBA stuff had already, I think, happened that day. Maybe the basketball tournament had pulled teams off. And I just remember looking at Skyler going, they're about to cancel our weekend not thinking they're about to cancel everything. So we get upstairs, Coach Kingston had already gotten word that, hey, we're going to meet in the team room and, and tell the team they're going to shut us down until Monday. So that was our first message to them is, hey, right now we're going to, you know, if you can go home, go home. If you want to stay at your apartment, come over here and hit. We can't be with you. There's a NCAA rule. So they were going to have a weekend off. And gosh, by that Friday afternoon, I'm sitting in a car literally at my son's JV baseball game and my phone's blowing up saying the world series has been canceled. That's how I found out. Yeah. Uh, all right. 
this is going to be way more than be here till Monday. And mm. over the next few hours, obviously, we get the facts and details. And it was so hard because it was just a group of guys that you knew would never get to play together again. Noah Campbell, uh, he and I were so close. That was his last season. Um, just so many guys, though, that you knew that was it. And it was going to end that way. And uh, then last year, as you said, last year you just felt like you were on a loose carpet the whole time. You know, you just kept turning around going, okay, when are they going to pull this out? You know, and say, you can't do this, you can't do that. And then I, I, for me, selfishly, I am so glad we could be at 100% come into the season, the regional. Man, you talk about the Rowdy Roosters. That was – it was just cool to see our fans. That reminded me of Sarge Fry, of when that place was so hard to go into and had those fans just right in your face. But I was I was really glad because – I didn't know what my future already was probably going to be. So I wanted the, the regional was fun to see people sitting there. I always told the players, the biggest advantage of playing in Columbia in the summer, everybody else is going to be hotter than you. Because nobody can grasp how hot it is until they get here. So I, I really wanted to obviously play a little bit longer. But um, I, I don't know. I mean, I think we'll all go back in time. I tell my son, he'll be telling these stories to, you know, grandkids and they'll be looking like y'all did what because this has been so strange through this whole COVID thing yeah yeah I, I tell you man we've all got a lot of great memories of watching Carolina baseball but that that Virginia game that first one at Founders and the reason I, that one was just cool I don't know it just like like you said just a lot of things getting back to 100 percent postseason baseball at Founders Park again getting the dub obviously that was a really really fun day for sure I, I wanted to ask you again on the Rowdy Roosters note how awesome was it for you again? I feel like the fans really, really took to you, man. Every time you take the third base coaching box, they, like I said, the chance of stew would break. Like, was that, was that surprising to you? Or I, I feel like you kind of knew how to play the crowd up a little bit, too. You, you pump them up a little bit. And obviously, the students at some point were all sitting down third base line. And I mean, like you said, it just, the atmosphere was, was awesome, I thought. Well, you know, if I could have been anything, I'd have been a pro wrestler. <laughs> or at least I would have been a manager. I would love to be a nice manager of a pro wrestler. So it was fun. It was just one of those that, to me, and, and this started again with Coach Tanner, this is entertainment. You're supposed to – people are supposed to come to games and have fun. And if – you know, Coach Tolman probably taught me that maybe more than anyone. Of These – you know, our fans care. And for me, being one of them, I used to tell – you know, Coach Kingston, I could take my uniform off and go sit in stands and have a good time mm. because I grew up here. I want – this is what's fun. So, for me to get that – and then it was a bunch of guys that were sitting back there, kids that had come through camps, guys I had recruited, you know, who were now in their 20s and, and older and college guys. It was fun to always run over there and know that they had your back. And I'm going to tell you right now, our guys, boy, was that a difference last season. Mm. That, for that limited capacity, our stadium was quiet at times. And when those guys, you just can't imagine. It was like plugging a cell phone in in that dugout. The battery just went up of our guys. And I knew that. I could feel it in our guys. So I wanted to get it as high-pitched as I could running over. And uh, got me in trouble, I guess, one weekend running over. The Missouri didn't like it, but I could care less. And uh, – I was always there and I always will be for the Garnet team. I'm not worried about that other one. 
Coach, I'd almost forgotten about that Missouri weekend. What a there were some wacky moments this past season with, with the I think it was like because the limited capacity, you could, you know, chirping is part of the game of baseball, heckling. I, I was obviously very vocal about that on my airwaves and actually encouraging it. But uh, I think what what got it was at the 20% capacity, you could hear what everyone was saying versus like it being a dull roar. And I think that made it a little bit worse because I'll never forget Florida weekend. And then I, I was going to leave you on this note. When you look at some of the crazy games, the Sunday against Clemson and the Florida game, Colin Burgess walk off. I mean, any crazier games you've ever been a part of? To me, that's two of the craziest Carolina baseball games I've, I've ever seen in my lifetime. Yeah. Well, two of them for me, too. I, I look back, my goodness, I there have been a lot of good ones, but those definitely stick in my mind. To, to be two of the special ones, you know, and just, I still joke and I live out here in the mountain, my right up the road is a guy, Brian Jeffcoat. And one of my favorite games is kind of insignificant, but Clemson had just moved their fences in. We go play at Clemson and they had not taken the back fence down yet. We hit, I think five or six home runs that day. Brian Jeffcoat hits three and they all land inside the fences at Clemson. And I'll just never remember. We beat them. We're on top of the world going on our bus. And the fans are yelling at Coach Leggett about the fence. And to this day, what that's a game that stuck in my mind because what it taught me as a coach, you better be thinking of everything. Because when I got to Ole Miss, we moved our fences in. And the AD wanted to wait until after the year to take the other fence down. I told this story, and Coach Bianco looked at him and said, I'll personally pay to take that fence down if I got to deal with that. And we did. And obviously see what Ole Miss looks like now, but Mm -hmm. man, there's this, I I remember the games, but I remember the guys, when you mentioned a Trey Dyson or I saw the other day, Landon Powell spoke to the team or, or just whoever incredible. I don't think there's been a program Chris cut in America has had different and more unique personalities in the university of South Carolina baseball program. It has been incredible people come through it. There are incredible people still in it. And that's why I just always going to be supporting it 100%. Yeah. Coach, it's been a pleasure, man. I appreciate you. Last thing before I get you out of here, just overall outlook at the program under Coach Kingston. Obviously, I know we're all really excited. And, uh, you know, I've been going out to a couple of the, the fall scrimmages, and we sort of know the names that are going to come back on the bump, some guys that are going to be at the plate that uh, I, I think are prime for really, really big years in 2022. But, you know, obviously you were a part of that program the last couple of years. You're just overall thoughts as it moves forward. Obviously a lot of a lot of new faces on the coaching staff. We're really happy for you, obviously, in your new ventures. And Coach Meade, obviously, over at Troy, fantastic opportunity for him. And Coach Couch at Arizona. But uh, just thoughts moving forward for Carolina Baseball. Well, the one thing you got in that program right now, you got a Andrew Eisner, you got Josiah Seitler, you got Bosnick, you got guys that, you know, just really love that program. Burgess from catching, Wimmer, you know, two guys that never really get a lot of pub me more, Coin and Tringali. And them guys have been there. I felt like they were there when I came in 17, you know, and I see them. And when I see them, I just see two mature guys that, you know, there are a lot of new faces on that team. I hope to get out there this fall. But you'll you probably realize already Bosnick ain't gonna throw this fall. Will mm, Sanders right. ain't gonna yeah. throw this fall. So, and a lot of times it's I, I was taught by Coach Tanner never get too excited in the fall, never get too down in the fall. Mm. Try to stay healthy in the fall. Mm. I think they've got a team that comes spring. You know, look at their SEC schedule. I hadn't seen the overall schedule yet. Seemed like we missed a few teams. It's good to miss. Let's not go to 
you know, start more right now, you know, yeah. <laughs> Lumo and them guys got it rolling, but it's never an easy game in our league. I'll be excited to see them this spring and, and just, I'm just excited for the Eisters, the Cyclers, man, them guys are Gamecock guys. Mm. And I hope our fans get behind them. I hope it's a hundred percent capacity. The whole deal comes spring because they're going to need it because every game I'm telling you, when the fans are there, you feel it. And that's what I hope will be for them. And I, I look forward to seeing them have a lot of success. Well, Coach, if we have anything to say about it, the Rowdy Roosters will be there packing it out, making it hell on opposing teams coming into Founders Park. But, again, Coach, like, I appreciate you taking the time, man. This was a, uh, a pleasure. Appreciate you and everything you did for Gamecocks baseball and obviously wish you the best moving forward, my friend. Hope to, hope to run into you at Founders Park sometime soon. Oh, you will. And thank you. And I enjoy keeping up with you, too. Keep these fans going. It is a huge part of our program. Absolutely. He's Stuart Lake. I'm Chris Phillips. We appreciate you guys tuning in, and we'll catch you next time on another episode of the Spurs Up Show. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.